Hello, and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. You can find me on Twitter at Sterling Vermin and the internet at large at sterlingvermin.com. And my name's Dane. I'm a dungeon master, podcaster, and voice actor. I'm everywhere online at Dane in Danger. We are veering off the known path. That's right. Today we're talking about something a little different. A little different. Not our typical fare of spells, not our uncommon fare of monsters or magic items. We're talking about a class today. We're talking about <laughs> wizards. How cool is that, huh? Well, I think it's appropriate because wizards are the main magic users of a setting. Mm-hmm. They're what people think of when they think of Dungeons and Dragons. That's First among equals when it comes to magic spellcasters. One could say that. If we're talking about the magic of D&D, then the magic users of D&D right. need to be explored as well. Right, right. Just like with spells, creatures, and items, uh, when we talk about a class like wizard, we're going to zoom in on the specific characteristics that have implications broader than are generally acknowledged in D&D. Wizards, the wizard class is arguably the best example of a character class that has a lot of implications that are rarely followed through on in D&D settings, and we're going to get into exactly what those characteristics are soon. The low-hanging fruit of the class is its massive spell list, complete with tons of utility spells that we frequently discuss on the show, and Ritual Caster, which lets them use all of those utility spells without expending spell slots. Of the 19 spells we've discussed so far on the show, the wizard class gets 13 of them. So by and large, when we've talked about the concept of hedge mages, or NPCs that aren't adventurers but have learned a bit of magic to perform as part of a job, we're probably talking about baby wizards. Baby wizards. Baby wizards. However, by far, the most impactful feature that wizards have is their spellcasting feature. Not because it grants them access to spells, although we wouldn't be talking about them if they didn't, but because of how they learn their spells. Wizards prepare spells out of their spellbook every day and can add two spells to their spellbook each time they level up. But, critically, they can also copy spells from other wizard spellbooks. Dane, tell us about it. I will. That's what I'm here for, to tell them about the things. Copying a spell into the book. When you find a wizard spell of first level or higher, you can add it to your spellbook. If it is of a spell level, you can prepare, and if you can spare the time to decipher and copy it. Copying that spell into your spellbook involves reproducing the basic form of the spell, then deciphering the unique system of notation used by the wizard who wrote it. You must practice the spell until you understand the sounds or gestures required, then transcribe it into your spellbook using your own notation. For each level of the spell, the process takes two hours and costs 50 GP. The cost represents material components you expend as you experiment with the spell to master it, as well as the fine inks you need to record it. Once you've spent this time and money, you can prepare the spell just like your other spells. The expected outcomes, I think the reason that this exists in the game, first of all, is that's kind of fun. There's a little bit of like a Pokemon Gotta catch them all. Element to this, yeah. Like, Gotta like, copy them all to yeah, cipher Yeah, it's like just super fun to add new options into your spellbook, um, and now you've got a way to do that. Which I, I think probably is also primarily kind of the hook here, is that it's meant to be a kind of 
low impact treasure or reward to give to your wizard characters. Here's a couple of spells. Yeah. What way to go? The fighter gets a plus one sword. The wizard gets to add three spells they didn't know right. to their spellbook. What I didn't realize is how proprietary these spell books are. Uh, according yeah. to this, yeah. you almost have your own language or cipher that you're using, which is an interesting thing to bring into a setting if you want to make notes to yourself in your own quote unquote language almost. Yeah, it, it, it that is really striking and something that I had had not really been on my mind until I was reviewing this information for this episode is that that's all like a lot of time to that you're taking to understand what someone else wrote, like remove all of their idiosyncratic notes and then produce your own. Well, I understand where this comes from mechanically because you want to feel like you've achieved something, right? right? You can't just give the player the thing. Yeah. Um, but in practicality, this is, this is a lot. This is, takes a lot and it costs time and money. Yeah. And in a, a D&D game, you could be doing other things. Right. You could be yeah. adventuring during Right. That no, time. for sure. I mean, it's one of those things where whenever there's a feature or a spell or whatever else that takes time, the question is, what is everybody else doing while you're doing that? I think for the most part, this isn't this doesn't take so much time to copy spells that you're going to annoy your party by doing it. But like, if you break into a wizard's house and the goal was to leave it mostly untouched and get out of there, your party is going to be annoyed with you. You're like, oh, please, just like what? Let's wait here for like six hours while I copy I this just real need quick. Six quick hours. And it, it also kind of takes away from wizards' downtime activities. So if they want to be broadening their right, that's true. Uh, role-playing, they can't be searching for books right. or, or the sage to help them or finding herbs. They're like, well, I guess I spend the day, you know, this is a fourth-level spell, so that's the day. Yeah. I mean, it probably doesn't come up so often that it's that no. disappointing. And there's a... A limit, ultimately, to how much you True. can learn. But it's expensive, though. Yeah. When I think about this, though, what this component or characteristic of the wizard class implies to me is that wizards teach one another. Uh, they learn, or at least they learn from one another. Whether or not they're, like, proactively teaching, they're learning from one another. It's like... Through their books. Through their books. It doesn't take many jumps to get to, well, if they can learn from each other, they've probably started organizing into some kind of institutions that make it easy to share these spells because it might, that might sound altruistic at first, but if you have three spells I want and I have two spells you want, it makes a lot more sense for us to just ha have like a kind of open door policy of getting these things from one another, especially if we're not enemies. Do you think it still takes the same amount of time and gold to transfer those spells? That's if a you've got really the good question there? there to, to actually kind of interpret it for you. That's a really good question. I mean, there's no, nothing that says that it's any different, but that is yeah. an interesting point. I, it, as most of these kind of gray area questions, yeah. it goes to the DM. Yeah. But rules is written, no, yeah. it takes the yeah. same amount of time. So if you're in these institutions and you're learning these spells from these books or from other wizards, you're spending the whole time in the library. I mean, maybe wizards are verbalizing those idiosyncratic notes even mm -hmm. like maybe they, they maybe just everybody's conception of exactly what's happening with the spell is slightly different it could be that magic is idiosyncratic and you and i have to cast a spell different ways mm. 
That's an interesting that's what I'm, point. I guess that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. that like Dane casting Magic Mouth might it like have to be different than Benjamin casting Magic Mouth because you and I do not interact with the weave in the same way, and so we have to... And it says ex, uh, you experiment with the spell right. to master it. So right. that makes a lot of sense that yeah. each person has to do it their own... They got way. their own groove. Yeah. yeah. Don't throw me off my groove. Exactly. That's the phrase I was hoping to get you to say. <laughs> it's um, all leading to this. Yeah. So anyway, when we talk about institutions, I think there's two basic ways those institutions would form or two kind of ideals, I guess. Two motivations to forming those institutions. One uh, are wizard-run institutions that are about learning and sharing information. And then two, organizations that benefit from an influx of new wizards. So those are people who have like an economic or economic interest in producing more wizards or maybe want a arcanely powered military and so you know they churn it yeah, out exactly yeah. training them up let's start by talking a little bit about what wizard run institutions would look like well the least restrictive institutions like this would be public spell libraries there might be intro to magic courses taught at these but the primary function of them is an warehouse of esoteric and mundane knowledge for the public and spells for wizards it makes the most sense if these are created for the public good by an altruistic wizard or wizard organization. Yeah, so this is kind of magic as a public utility or wizard education as a public utility. You know, I could imagine a particularly good wizard believes that magic will improve the lives of people and so should be made readily available. And Right of the public. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And once you get a powerful enough wizard, two things happen. One, you're probably like, well, I can thwart any problem that arises out of this. Like if I accidentally propel an evil person into wizardry, I'll just deal with that. Mm -hmm. And then powerful enough the other to do thing it. is that, yeah. And then the other thing is that you've probably got the time and the money to fund such a library if that's the thing you want to do with your time. Especially if uh, essentially this is the, a society that doesn't need money anymore. Right. But I mean, a high level wizard also, uh, like, I'm thinking, Money especially, is no once, object. Yeah, I'm thinking especially once no you expense. get to wish, it's like, yeah. you just like, once a day, you're just like money and then money <laughs> appears and then like a big pile of money appears. Money. Yeah. That's your, that's your particular way of casting the spell. It's just yeah. money. Yeah. Boom. That's how I cast. It's only, a, only has a verbal spell component. So you just clear your throat and say money and then boom, that's it. Another form that an institution like this might take is a college or a university, or, of course, the possibility of a classic magical boarding school. Oh, um, watch out. Yeah, we're not going to talk about she who shall not be named or any intellectual property she benefits from. I don't uh, know what you're talking about anyway. I've stricken it from my mind. Good, yeah, you should. Yeah. We all should. <laughs> While such an institution could be operated for money, I think it's more likely that institutions like this are operated to promote a certain philosophy or political perspective. State run? No, well, I think this could be, I think this would at least start as a wizard run organization. When I mentioned philosophy or political perspective, what I mean is that you might have wizards found a school because they think wizards are wise enough and powerful enough that they should probably form the ruling class. Mm. And so they're not in power yet, but the goal is to basically get enough like wizards graduated from the school they can just be like okay we're taking over your city now 
Don't worry we about it. We don't have it. to fight. We got because you. Because we're going to win. We're so gonna, just, we got, we we're going to take this. So, which is a, a really hostile uh, political perspective, but you might also have the political perspective that, like, if there are wizard viziers in every society, then they can work together for peace. I like, think that's uh, the Witcher uses that model. Uh, in the Witcher universe, mm-hmm. each of the kingdoms has a, a member of the same wizard oh, okay. organization for, yeah. for these reasons. And then they meet together and talk about. Yeah. So it's kind of like wizards who graduate from the school. Their first responsibility is to the school and the school's mission. Their second responsibility is to the nation that they're embedded in. And so. And then egos get involved and then it's their own ultimate aims Are on you top of everything sometimes else. Sometimes things don't work out the way you intend. I'm not saying that, but I'm implying it. Certainly feels like kind of the lesson of D&D is that uh, things don't work out the way you <laughs> intend them to. Plan for two hours and yeah. then everything goes off the rails in the first 10 minutes. The other philosophies I was talking about might be the idea that you want to banish outside planar influences, maybe even the influence of the gods. Uh, you might think fiends, elementals, celestials, none of them should have any kind of power over how Influence. how the world plays out, right. um, that it should be in, in the hands of humanoids. And so that could be a reason that a wizard forms, uh, creates one of these institutions. So in, the, in this situation where institutions like this start to form around uh, political or philosophical ideologies, it would make sense for there to be a copycat after mm-hmm. that first one. And for them to not have the same philosophy. And in that case, then you get into an interesting scenario where schools might be attempting to create proprietary spells or offering additional resources to their members so that they can siphon maybe more politically neutral wizards towards (laughs) their institution and away from others that they think of as enemies at, at worst or rivals at best. Charm friends and influence people, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if they're as politically aggressive as you've put before, then that could become warring, like out, all out war. Yeah. I mean, this is one way I think in which you could, if you didn't like that idea of wizards as the grand unifier of a setting, it could very easily be that, like, there are a few institutions and they have very hard feelings about one another. And so it, it sort of hedges the power of, of wizards as a, as a whole, because they're all involved in this like four or five way war between different magic schools. And not just magic schools, but where people are getting their magic from. So if a particular organization is dead set against blocking out all the gods, right. Yeah. Then any institutions training clerics and magics right. would have a vested interest in you yeah. not doing the thing that you want to do. Yeah. That's interesting. Hello, friends. Dane here saying thank you for listening and sharing our show. Telling other people about Dispel Magic is the best way for us to grow, along with you rating and reviewing our show on whatever podcast app you use. We've also revamped our Patreon. Benjamin is writing monthly spells. There's a behind-the-screen show where we talk about our home games, along with other little extras we'll be sprinkling in here or there. So, if you like the show, please tell a friend, rate and review, and check out our Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and happy spelling. When I'm thinking about becoming a wizard, it's 
how does one become a wizard mm-hmm. if one doesn't have the means? So what are the means? You need to know how to read. You need to yeah, know how to decipher these things. You need the 50 gold per hour. You need the hour, right, to be able to copy these spells down. You make the point that in the book, there's no intelligence score requirements for becoming a wizard. Yeah. It just makes you better at, at yeah. casting those spells. So that being the case, if this world is the primary position is being a wizard, then I feel the ones who are better able to cast the spells, then a hierarchy is starting to happen within the wizards. If you're not as good at it, yeah. then you are in less demand. Well, so that is complicated by the fact that some spells don't care. Like magic mouth doesn't matter. You like, just do it. You just do it. It's it's like an off, on-off switch. Nobody's rolling a saving throw or whatever else. It's just... It happens or it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And there are probably enough spells like that that you could really skate by as like an intelligence six wizard if you had to just casting like kind of the basic utility. And the infrastructural, I mean, like those are really, I think, where wizards would gain most of their power. It's not in fighting mm-hmm. for the most part. It's in being able to produce large scale societal changes. And for the most part, those aren't too impacted by your ability to cast spells. So... Or, excuse me, by your spell save DC or your spell attack modifier. And so your intelligence does not matter that much in those in, ca- in those cases. So in in one way, it's pretty egalitarian. It's, right. It's yeah. levels the playing field. Yeah. It would be funny as a house rule to just have like a situation where you could kind of differentiate the intelligence of the wizard by like the quality of the craftsmanship of the spell. for Like a level, like if you're intelligence six, you're... Magic mouth like snarls sometimes when it shouldn't. It's just rather or, rude. There's yeah. just a certain edge a, to yeah. how it says things right. that is disconcerting. Yeah, maybe your your thaumaturgy, the the amplified voice that you use has like some. It wavers like it wavers, you, you like goes in and out. Yeah, yeah. that would be pretty. That would be pretty fun. <laughs> not a not a not as not a rules as written thing, but. Just for the flavor. Yeah, but if you're going to really dive into this, like, wizards are everywhere scenario, mm-hmm. that would be a fun way to differentiate, to to play with those differences. I'm wondering where all of these inks and books and things are coming from. People have to now be fabricating these things in, in a world of wizards. You mean as in with the spell fabricate? Yeah. Um, well, so they could. One thing that I, that was that crossed my mind when I was doing this episode was that wizard schools could not hand out pre-made spell books. Right. Because they're each so individualized to they're each. They're bespoke. Yeah. I can imagine that they probably do. There, There's like a garden at the back of this wizard school and a wizard just walks out there once a day and casts fabricate to drop a, to convert everything in there to like magic ink that just drops into some huge like vat cauldron or vat or something <laughs> that they've got there. Um, so then they need a druid on retainer for plant growth to keep that going. Oh yeah. That's interesting. I had not even thought about that when I was preparing for this episode, but you probably would have like spells that are outside of what wizards can use, but would facilitate running institutions like this. And so they, they have to hire them. Yeah. They have to hire there's like the dru- the random druid that's on staff at the wizard school. And I mean, I can't think of them off the top of my head of all the different spells that are just for that particular mm-hmm. class. But I guess the, the one 
that I think of is the cleric's um, divine intervention. Yeah, that's a feature, not a is it? spell. Yeah. It's considered magic, isn't it? Well, I would assume so. I mean, you're asking your god to right. intervene in a situation, so, but it's not a spell. Okay, but in, in any case, it could be very useful. <laughs> and if uh, magic school wanted to use that, I think that it's a safer bet than wish. That's the, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it for sure would be a safer bet than wish, but then you've also got to be asking for things that you're, at least that god is not opposed to. True. You have a stable of clerics in, yeah. of the different and you gods. you have to be a pretty high-level cleric to get yeah. that in the first place. So, But we're talking post... Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, we are talking about a world where these are these are, are bordering on common sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yes, there would be high-level clerics around. But, I mean, I think if there's a god of magic, and, like, especially, like, a god of, like, learning and magic then sure, there's probably like a high-level cleric installed in each of these schools or multiple high-level clerics mm-hmm. installed in each of these schools that do, that do that. So what do organizations that benefit from an influx of new wizards look like to you? So I have a couple ideas. And, and I think we may have even touched on the, some of these concepts in past episodes. First is that you would, again, have an institution like a college or university, but this time, instead of being something run to push a uh, agenda it's something done for profit so nobles get in by paying up front they're paying for their children to get in you know up front uh you know massive tuitions that no one else could ever afford i that seems yeah, kind I of far-fetched yeah, little, i doubt that would actually actually happen in the real world but okay everyone else takes takes out debt that they agree to pay back over the <laughs> remainder of their entire life until Money has no purpose. Yeah, until money has no purpose or someone realizes that system is stupid and fixes it. This is a situation where if you're a mid-tier wizard or you're any level of merchant and you get your hands on a spell book, you might just get the bright idea like, hey, I could start, I could make some money, like, you know, a thousand gold a year just for hosting lectures sounds pretty great. Thousand gold per year per student. That's a kind of pretty straightforward example. But then you might also have a situation, uh, which I think we talked about in Tensor's Floating, the Tensor's Floating Disc episode, which is the idea that you work for a company or a guild that includes spellcasters and where becoming a spellcaster might be part of the way in which you climb the corporate ladder. Right. Yeah. You know, you start off your career as a jade miner working in the jade mines. Uh, so that people can cast, have the material components to cast magic mouth. All the magic mouths they need. And so, but then it, you don't have a family yet. So, at night, instead of going home, you go straight to night school, where they train you on how to cast magic mouth, and you're slowly becoming a wizard. The company's offering that for free because the expectation is that you're going to be doing that for them when you graduate. And so then, you know, you're a jade miner taking night classes until you graduate. And then you start working as a uh, magic Mormon. mouth <laughs> installer, yeah. I guess. Technician. Yeah. I mean, broadly, we've been calling that position a hedge mage. I think that's a good uh, way to keep talking about it. Hmm. Um, so you're graduating from, you know, we so, I mean, even just with magic mouth, you've got, you need jade miners. You need people to transport that. You need apiaris. There's a lot of, a lot of like kind of, uh, mundane jobs to fill 
and a company that just basically does magic magic mouth. mouth. So I can picture there are a lot of either small companies or a few very huge companies like casting who specialize in casting a One lot of spells kind of spell. or in con- spell certain spells in conjunction. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking to promote people out of whatever those mundane positions are. Well, just the just the plant growth and fabricate for food. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of combinations like that where, I mean, we had talked about Demiplane and uh, Animate Dead mm-hmm. to where you've got the people to, or not people, <laughs> you've got the, the former people, the former people to just move things in and out of the Demiplanes. And then if they get trapped inside, who cares? Write them off. It's just a corpse. That's right. Yeah. More bones where that came from. Yeah. Many more bones. Many more bones. Especially with the population spike of having abundant food. is Right. right. Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) Anyway, that's a long way of saying that when you combine this feature with the impact of some of the spells we previously discussed, especially those spells that have rendered other forms of labor moot, like like in in, in recent episodes we've talked about plant growth and fabricate, and how much work that eliminates from the job market. When you when you consider all those things, there should be a fairly sizable percentage of the population who really have nothing else to do. Well, not, not nothing else to do as in they've got nothing better to do with their time, but as in like, this is the employment that exists, is becoming a spellcaster. There's only so one you option. better start becoming a spellcaster. Right. What that gets to is that when you introduce institutions that educate or produce wizards... And especially when you've got external stressors, I guess, pushing people into needing a new kind of work, that's going to have an accelerating effect on the societal changes we often talk about on the show. With financial and social incentives to join these institutions, like I imagine for the most part, being a hedge mage pays a lot more than being a jade miner. It also probably has a lot more social prestige. These kinds of institutions would probably get more applicants than they could even accept, which then leads to the idea that we kind of briefly touched on earlier, which is that you're not going to have just one of these institutions. You're going to have a variety of these institutions form, each kind of forming their own niche in terms of who they're trying to educate, what they're trying to educate them about, and kind of what other kind of values they're trying to instill in those people that go to those institutions. I could also see a problem with overqualification where so many people are being trained by all of these different places Mm -hmm. and everyone's hungry to get to the next level that you do have magic mouth hedge mages acting as or working as jade miners to look for that next opening to wait for a spot. Oh, right. Okay. To clear out. I think, I mean, that happens here and, and now to this day. Uh, people coming from other countries who are trained as surgeons don't have a chance to enter the medical field. So, you know, I could see this happening here too. Overqualified people, overeducated people having to work these more mundane jobs. It could be. I mean, in this particular case, if you can cast Magic Mouth and the company that does all of the big Magic Mouth-derived tech stuff like builds magic mouth computers or jukeboxes or whatever, is not able to hire you or willing to hire you, you can always just go find a noble. You know? You, you can always just freelance. It's true. 
Although, you know, who knows? If, if you're able to. Yes, uh, that's true. Freelancing sucks for me. Anytime I've tried it, I get... Uh, yeah, but if you cast Magic Mouth once and you charge 20 gold, that's more than you're going to make being a Jade Miner in like five years, 10 years. Sure. So... I just, I see everything. You have to find a customer one time. Everything that we're talking about in this particular episode has such close parallels right. to what it right. is in the actual world yeah. that, like, I'm having a hard time di- differentiating between a D&D semi-medieval world right. and how technology works with us here today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's... I sort of suspected when I started Dispel, or when I, when I originally thought of the idea for the show, that that's where it would end up. Yeah. But it has gotten there faster than I thought <laughs> it would. I thought it would be like all of the puzzle pieces of different spells would gradually fit together. But actually, it's like there's like two spells that ruin the whole, <laughs> like that, that, that ultimately produce this situation. Well, it's similar to the singularity that you're talking about. Like there's a gradual incline and then suddenly woof right up. Right through the roof that's what's been happening with the show and that's what yeah. would happen in this uh yeah so, so you mentioned the idea that people could be overqualified another thing that might be true is that when that gets to be the case that's when people might search for the next i mean just like in the tech industry where there's like innovation is this word that almost is made fun of or it disrupt. is made fun of You're yeah disrupt, disrupt the industry and innovate, right that's where i think you would get into um People would, spellcasters would be looking to find new applications to spells uh, that have people haven't thought of before, or anxious to write a new, create a new spell altogether that fills some need that's not currently being addressed. Variations on magic mouth or tensors to floating disc. And... Yeah, I mean, I, part of our Patreon is, I, is our patrons are getting free spells every month, and... This month, I really was inspired by, like, things like, oh, there should be a spell that's basically radio, the spell. There should be a spell that's <laughs> yeah. basically photograph, the spell. Yeah. And so I wrote spells like that, and I was like, totally, there would be a spell that's just like, you point a thing, you point it at a blank canvas, and you get a picture of the thing you pointed at. I've definitely made a text messaging system in one of my yeah. games. Yeah, Because it's useful. Yeah, well, I mean... I mean, for sure, because of our modern look, these seem very obvious. Yeah. But it just, it makes sense that since creating new spells is a possible thing, you, even in the, even if, even if there's nothing in any D&D book that says you can, we know based on the fact that there are some spells named Tensor's Floating Disc, that there's a wizard out there named Tensor who wrote the spell, so it must be possible to write spells. There's a precedent. Right. So we so in that situation where there's no new work, I think that's where you get incubators of like eight hedge mages all sitting around. Come on, we gotta come trying up to come with up with like a killer spell. All right, it's a bird, and you talk to the bird and it goes and tells everybody you know the thing that you said. We'll call it uh tw- Tweeter. Tweeter. They can tweet at people, and then everyone will yell at each other through it. And have arguments. Exactly. One little side note here as we're starting to wind down is that even if you don't like the idea of a wizard becoming or of a setting becoming overpopulated with wizards specifically, 
Institutions like this might still exist and train people just in the magic initiate or ritual caster feat, both of which will still do a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, either because with magic initiate, you're getting first level spells and cantrips, or with ritual caster, you're able to cast rituals, and a, and a lot of the spells we've talked about that are game changers are rituals. The more you can do it, the more it changes the world. Exactly. Well, and, and I think that with the number of magic users ballooning and the singularity yep. happening, not only are there more spell casters, but there's more chance of people casting things like Wish. Right. And yep. the problem solve for that wouldn't just be the one Wishinati, you know, group. They'd have to come up with something more permanent to police this. You could probably use the spell wish to wish to know who alive is going to learn wish if they remain alive. Oh my god. And then you just prune um that is dark potential <laughs> that is like dark. rising stars that could join the Wishinati. I would hope that there would be so so we're getting into uh minority report. Before you right, even yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got this wooden ball with your name on it and I gotta kill you because of that. Yeah. Sorry, you you're gonna learn the wish spell one day if I don't do this. So I mean if that's what the wish spell says, then you keep an eye on him. Right. You just keep an eye on him. You keep an eye on him and then at the crucial point you come in and you're like you're like Or you could maybe You don't just, want maybe you don't you could, want maybe to. the wish and Adi would get together and just cast wish to wish that no one knew could learn the spell wish. So you're elim- eliminating it. Illuminating it. You're eliminating it from the world. That's breaking vanilla D&D. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to. Well, what's the fun in not breaking vanilla D&D? There's no fun in that. There's no fun in not breaking. Sort of the premise of this entire show. But what is fun is tweeting at us Mm. about your thoughts on today's episode. What did exploring the wizard class inspire for your game at home? You can tweet us at Dispel Magic Pod on Twitter. You, you, you whisper it to a little bird, and it goes and it flies around. <laughs> Is that your bird? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's the best bird I can do. Yeah, it's a pretty good bird. Oh, it was? Just from the way you said it, I assumed you didn't think it was. I changed my mind okay. <laughs> mid-sentence. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at Dispel Magic Pod. You can find Benjamin, at Sterling Vermin, and Dane, at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw. <laughs>